Aren't you glad his love never gives up? You know what that tells me? That we should never give up. How many have ever had moments when you want to give up? Okay, you're lying if you didn't raise your hand. How many have ever had moments when you wanted to give up, quit, throw in the towel, say, God, I've had enough, I can't take this anymore? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, God will never put on you more than you can bear. That is taken totally out of context because God will always put on you or allow more to be put on you than you can bear so that we'll need Him. If I never faced anything that I couldn't bear, guess what? I wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need God. But thank God He does put more than we can bear so we can turn our eyes upon Jesus Christ. Amen? I believe with all of my heart that God allows us to go through things because He wants to, see, to accomplish bigger things that can only happen by allowing us to go through some of those hard times. How many have learned most of what you've learned through hard times? I tell everybody I didn't go to seminary school, theology school. I went to the school of hard knocks. Amen? I went through hard times, and I learned more through hard times than I've ever learned anywhere else. Uh, this morning, we're continuing on in our Joshua series. Today, we're going to be talking about a woman by the name of Rahab. Anybody ever heard of Rahab? With that in mind, how many of you have ever seen the movie Pretty Woman? Anybody ever seen that movie? Julia Roberts, uh, Richard Gere. Julia Roberts, her character, plays that down-on-her-luck prostitute. Uh, she meets up with what eventually becomes her Prince Charming, Edward Lewis, a wealthy businessman that takes her as his escort for several business and social functions that he's involved with. But because of her social class and because of her reputation, people aren't treating her very well, at least until Prince Charming comes onto the scene. Everything began to change. All of a sudden, she's taking, taken out of her horrific circumstances and surroundings all because she met up with the right guy at the right place, the right person uh, to give her hope, that let her know he cared for her, let her know he loved her. And once she came, he came into her life, everything changed. Her dress changed, her language changed, her looks changed, her character changed. Her whole life changed, all because of this one meeting. Well, you may not know this, but pretty woman wasn't the first story of a prostitute to have her life turned around and transformed. In fact, I mentioned that we're going to be talking about one in particular today who many only know of her as Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. This story I believe you're going to, we're going to look at today actually shows us a beautiful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he can transform any life, any life, no matter what that life has done or been or where they've been, what they've done, can transform any life when they turn to him by faith. I believe what we're going to see is how God can take sinners and change their lives by his power and his grace, no matter what has gone on in your life, no matter what you, where you've been, what you've done, God has the power to change your story. Uh, the story uh, that we're going to pick up today takes off or picks up right where we left off last week. Remember I said that Moses was in charge leading the children of Israel out of Egypt? Well, he dies. God puts Joshua in charge of leading the children of Israel. He's about to lead them across uh, the Jordan River into the Canaan land, into the promised land. 500 years earlier, God had made a promise to Abraham that Abraham's descendants one day were going to possess this land. That's why it's referred to as the promised land. You may not have caught that before. 
But the people are finally, the people of God are finally, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they are about to cross over the Jordan River and lay claim to the land that God had promised them 500 years earlier. So it's a very big deal. Like any good commander, though, Joshua has some challenges. Joshua knows he has to have courage. Joshua also knows that he has to have wisdom. So before he invades across the river into the promised land, we talked about last week where they're going to encounter 31 battles after they get into the promised land. Before he goes to war, he wants to gather as much information about what's on the other side of the Jordan as he can. We've got a little map I want to show you to kind of help you get your bearings of what's going on, where the people are at. Over to the right of your screen uh, is a uh, place, Abel Shittim, where um, the uh, children of Israel are camped out with Joshua. I would expound on that Shittim city, but it would probably get me in trouble. Amen. <laughs> but they're on that side of the Jordan River in that place, okay? They're all, and they've got to cross the Jordan River, and their first target is Jericho. They've got to conquer that city of Jericho. So before Joshua jumps too fast, he decides, wait a minute, got to use wisdom. He says, I'm going to spy out the land. I'm going to send two spies in to see what's going on, especially in this city called Jericho. Now, Jericho, if you don't know anything about Jericho, it was a major city back then. It was a walled, fortified city. Some thought it was undefeatable, but guess what city God tells them to go in and to defeat first? The city of Jericho as they cross over into the promised land. So Jericho was a huge deal. They couldn't, well, they could have. But they didn't, and they knew they shouldn't go around Jericho. Because if they had gone around Jericho, every one of the countryside cities would have been allied with Jericho. They'd end up fighting Jericho anyway. But the big reason they didn't go around it is God said, don't go around it, go through it. Amen? Don't go around it, go through it, defeat it. That was the main reason they went into the city in the first place. But why did God want to destroy these people? Why would God be that mean of a God? Actually, He's not a mean God. He's a just God. And back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God prophesied that this was going to happen because these people were actually destined for destruction. Because Joshua, God at that time was talking to Abraham, foretelling about the exodus from Egypt, and God says to Abraham, get this scripture, in the fourth generation of your descendants, uh, your descendants will come back here to Canaan, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What's that mean? That just means that the time had now come. These Amorites had squandered their privileges, actually. The God-given freedom of choice and instead of doing good things with it, they decided to sin with it. They decided to turn away from God in such a degree that their culture degenerated beyond return. I mean, in such a degree that their culture, their faith in God totally degenerated to, to the point where it went way beyond, I'll just say this, God's maximum tolerance level. That takes a lot. Amen? To go beyond God's... God is a graceful God, faithful God. A patient God. But the Amorites, the people that were occupying that land, were guilty of a lot of different kinds of sin. So evil that God just all out said, you're wicked. You're wicked. You're evil. They had all sorts of sexual uh, sins. They had all sorts of uh, idolatry going on uh, to the point where they were even sacrificing their babies, their own children, to the God of Moloch. 
So it was a big deal to God. Understand the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father didn't cause that, but He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen, that's why He turned the land over to His own people. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, God tells him in verse 5, It is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is dispossessing them. He's letting them go before you. God's holiness can't allow that to remain in the land that he has called to be his prized possession, special possession that he promised Abraham. So it was definitely a problem that they wished wasn't there, but it was there, so Joshua decides to send in the spies to spy out the land. Now, this is the part of the story that we don't usually tell in Sunday school, especially when it comes to our flannel graphs, because you'll know why in a second. Listen to this, Joshua 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I'm thinking, bow chicka wow wow. Amen. Now you know why we don't use that in our Sunday school stories in our flannel graphs. I'm kind of having some fun with that, but it's a serious matter is there's a good reason why they went there. Uh, there's really a couple good reasons. One of them, I think, is because this would have been the perfect place for any stranger, any foreigner, any traveler to come in and really not be noticed because it was a pretty common practice. It wouldn't have also aroused too much suspicion uh, for these guys to come into her house. And when I think about it, a house of ill repute might have been a good place to gather some information, and it was, a definitely, a good, it was definitely a good place to hide out. But secondly, it was strategic, because this house that Rahab lived in was high on the side of the wall of the city. It was at a place where these spies could have just sat up there and watched the military maneuver so they could get their defensive tactics together and figure out what they were supposed to do. Um, it also offered a great method of escape. By this house of Rahab's being on the outer wall, it would have had outer windows to outside that they could have easily escaped from. But with all of that said, I think the main reason they ended up at Rahab's house was because God led them there. Because God saw her heart. God saw a heart that wanted more of him, that wanted to know him, wanted to love him, wanted to serve him. How many know God looks on the heart? Everything else might show a different story, but God's looking on your heart. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Clearly, they weren't up to James Bond uh, uh, par of spying, amen? Because immediately they're found out. And the king, he was probably more of a mayor of the city than the king, but the mayor sends his officers in to check it out. But look at verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who come to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, and she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may be able to catch up with them. But she had actually taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. Maybe she kept those stalks of flax there to hide other clients that were hiding from jealous wives. I'm just thinking outside the box. Anyway, verse 7, so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. How many have ever read this word and been a little confused at a time or two? I didn't understand exactly what you were reading and, and that kind of confusion. 
uh, led you to dwell on it and focus on it so much that that was all you could think about? I mean, you had concentrated on it so much that it really got you sidetracked from what God was really trying to tell, tell you. I think this lie that uh, Rahab is telling is kinda, can kind of do that if you're not careful. Doesn't the Bible tell us as Christians we're always supposed to tell the truth? And here's Rahab telling a bold-faced lie, but I would say I think you can kind of almost understand why. She's repenting of her sins. She's actually repenting of the false god that she, gods that she has worshipped most of her life. And she's turning to the one true God of Israel. And she's willing to protect the Israelite spies. But every now and then, even when you're trying to do the right thing, how many know somebody can blast you with an argument? Somebody can hit you. I think of these people as theological fact-checkers that are sit around, sitting around in their jammies all day long eating Doritos. Uh, living in their mom's basement, and they don't have anything else to do but argue with people about Scripture. And when it comes to biblical honesty, I will say, they can go to this one. And they can say, well, she told a bold-faced lie. She should have just told the truth. Maybe so, maybe not. Do you know that the Bible actually teaches us that there are occasions? There are some times where it's okay to lie in order to deceive godless governments. Or corrupt governments. And before you think you don't have to pay your taxes this year, and before you think you can break the law, let me explain where I'm coming from, because this isn't me saying this. This is going to be backed up in Scripture. Exodus chapter 1 tells about the time when the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage, and the children of Israel were growing in population so fast. Babies were being born left and right that all of a sudden Pharaoh gets a little bit worried. He's thinking, they're going to outgrow our population and they're going to be able to overtake us. So what's he do? He goes to the midwives and tells them to kill every baby boy that's born. Hebrew baby boy that's born. But look at verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Well, when Pharaoh summoned these midwives in and asked them why they let the little boys live, This is what they said. Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Basically, they're saying these Hebrew women are so strong, they're popping out babies left and right. We can't keep up with them. We can't get there before they're born. It was an absolute lie. It was an all-out lie to Pharaoh. Look how passage, uh, uh, verse 20 ends this passage. So God was kind to the midwives. God was kind to those that told the lie. God was kind to the midwives and the people, God's people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, get this, he gave them families of their own. So if it was a lie, in a weird way, God blessed the lie. Think about that. But I might put it in a modern day story that you could maybe relate to a little bit better. How many have ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? She wrote a fabulous book called The Hiding Place where she talks about her father, um, Father Ten Boom who was a great Christian man that uh, spent uh, much of that part of his life hiding Jewish people, trying to smuggle them out so they wouldn't have to go to the concentration camps. Well, his pastor came by one day, and his pastor, following the letter of the law, says, hey, you shouldn't be breaking the law. You're disobeying. Uh, We've got to obey the laws. Father Ten Boom responded by saying that Christians are to obey God first above any human law that conflicts with his laws. And I said all that to say Rahab might have lied, 
But I don't believe in God's eyes it was even a sin. Look what James says about Rahab in the book of James. Rahab the prostitute, he says, was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a safe direction. So when you go home today, don't be telling everybody your pastor said it's okay to lie. I'm not saying that, all right? <laughs> Refer to this scripture and maybe they'll get your drift. Maybe you'll get my drift referring to this scripture. She lied, but she didn't sin. I believe that Rahab instantly, and she had some things going on in her heart, instantly realized that these spies were different than the other guys that frequented her place. These guys might have been the only guys that walked through her door that didn't have evil, sinful intent. And in her heart, she knew, she knew these guys were the good guys, so much so that, so that she was willing to risk her life, to lie to the king, to actually hide the spies on her roof. I will say this as a follower of Jesus, we all know we are supposed to tell the truth, but however, we all know we live in a what? A fallen world. We live in a fallen world, we're not supposed to lie, but sometimes a lie is better than to cost someone their life. So I'm just saying that in this instance, I believe it was clearly the right thing to do. And what's cool about Rahab is her story goes on in the Old Testament, but she shows up in the book of Matthew in the, in the gospel, in the New Testament, not physically or literally, but by her name. Matthew is starting out the book of Matthew with the lineage of Jesus Christ, the family tree of Jesus Christ. And after naming name after name after name after name, guess whose name pops up? Rahab's. Actually, women's names weren't even mentioned back in those days in genealogies. But God gives, her, gives them three in this one genealogy. Pretty amazing. I believe that tells us and shows us the heart of God and what's going on in God's heart. But one that God wanted to definitely make known was his great, 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 and I could go on 35 times, great-grandmother, the prostitute, Rahab. Why would he do that? I think the bigger reason, if you cut to the chase, is that that is the exact same kind of person that God came to this earth for. The exact same person that God left heaven above, came down in the form of his son, to save and to redeem. He came for that kind of person, a person that realizes, I need you, God. I can't live life without you. I need you. He, he came for the person that will turn to him, not the person that's stuck up, got their nose in the air thinking they've arrived, think they've got a, their act together. Look at verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She's already speaking as if the battle's over. It hasn't even begun yet. They haven't even taken the city yet, and she basically is saying, it's already happened. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Then she says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And get this part. Something is really going on in her heart. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. For the Lord your God is God on heaven, in heaven above and on earth below. She's had a revelation in her heart of who God really is. You know, this ought to encourage us. Do you know that people are watching you? They're watching your life. They're watching your actions. We have a great opportunity, also a great responsibility. 
And when they see us doing things that can only be explained as something that God, only God could do, guess what happens? It draws their hearts to him. I believe that's exactly what was happening to Rahab. Her heart, by what she was seeing, was drawn to having faith in God. The world pays a whole lot of attention when we start doing things that allow God to use us for his purposes. Let me ask you, are you allowing God to use your life for his purposes? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life to do incredible things that could only be explained and given glory to God? My, I'm not doing enough of it. I can do more of it. I'm sure every one of us can. Rahab goes on to say in verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. She's talking to these spies. Because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Basically, she's saying, our lives for your lives. The man assured her, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Think about Rahab. She was willing to risk everything she had for a God she barely knew. That's pretty amazing. She was willing to risk everything she had for a God she barely knew. And I believe a big part of that was because she saw God at work in people that were allowing God to work through them. We have such a powerful opportunity. She was taking a huge chance. We don't give her credit for the chance she was taking. She would have been considered a traitor to have done what she had done. Back then, if you were found out to be a traitor, they would have gouged your eyeballs out. They would have probably cut your tongue out. They would have probably cut your hands off. They probably would have drugged you half dead through the city. And if that wasn't bad enough, at the end, they stoned you to death to finish it off because of you being a traitor. So when she took these spies in that Joshua had sent, she was putting her life and her whole family's life in tremendous risk. I mean, at a tremendous risk. Why would she do that? I'd say because she realized that this God was the real God. This God was the real deal. He was the one true God of heaven and earth. And Rahab's response was to leave her sinful lifestyle behind. Leave it behind and pick up a new walk with God. Pick up a new direction with God. So Rahab promises to help the spies, even to keep their, their, uh, uh, their spying a secret. And the spies give her a promise in return that they'll keep her and her whole family safe. But look at verse 17. It comes with conditions. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord. Remember that. This is critical. That you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you will let us down. And unless you have brought her father, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. She's trusting God is a faithful God. She's trusting that God is a merciful God. So she asked these spies that they would ask God to spare her family and her life when they come to conquer the city. Well, the men agree. They make her a promise. Her whole family and herself, they will be safe as long as they are where? In the house. As long as she hangs up the crimson cord, as long as they're in the house, and as long as they have that, she has that crimson cord in the window. This is a major deal right here. That crimson cord. 
When those spies handed Rahab that cord, I like to think outside the box sometimes. I can just imagine them thinking back to the Passover night when they came out of Egypt, when the death angel was going about to pass over. And there was a scarlet cord, you might say, painted on the doorpost and lintels of their home. And guess where the family had to be? In the house. The family had to eat the lamb, had to put the blood of the lamb on the door and be in the house. This was symbolic of the lamb. You may not realize it, but there is a scarlet cord that runs in this Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to its end. From the animals that were killed in the Garden of Eden because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden, uh, to the ram that was killed by Abraham on Mount Moriah whenever that ram took the place of him sacrificing his own son Isaac, all the way to that Passover situation where they painted the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lentils of their home the night the death angel was passing over, the scarlet cord that we're talking about here in Joshua, John the Baptist's declaration, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ where He shed His own blood, the blood of the Lamb once and for all. That was God's plan of redemption. And there's more to it than just that. I hit the highlights. God's plan of redemption was there. God's plan for our redemption was there. Jesus Christ and His blood is our scarlet cord. Amen? That's our scarlet cord that He was willing to give. The story ends with a battle. We'll get into more of that next week. It's an amazing battle. But as they defeat the city, Joshua tells to his soldiers in chapter 6, verse 17, he says, Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared. That's exactly what happened. Everyone else was wiped out. And you may not have stopped to think about this, but do you know that Rahab was, in fact, the first recorded Gentile convert? The first recorded Gentile convert in the Gospel of Luke. He describes her as, as I said earlier, the 35th great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Rahab had to put the scarlet cord in her window to be saved. She had to put the scarlet cord in her window to be saved. That tell, to be saved. That tells me as Christians, we have to put Jesus in our heart to be saved. We have to put Jesus in our heart to be saved. We have to make Him Lord and Savior of our life and then live a life that proves that our walk with Him is a serious walk with Him. That is a true walk with Him. Thirdly, Rahab could have indicated where she lived by a number of different ways. She could have just given them the address. She could have described her front porch, the color of her house. She didn't do that. She knew that she had to follow every detail that these spies had told her to follow that came from God indirectly. Put the scarlet cord in the window. Get the house, people, your family in the house in order to be saved. You know, the world comes along and says there's a whole lot of ways to God and salvation. That's what the world says. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. This is what he says about salvation. Salvation is found in no one else. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So we have to be saved through the name of Jesus Christ, through the person of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, in faith in his finished work on the cross. And the fourth thing I want to bring up, and it's an amazing thing, is that when you give your heart to Christ... Your past really no longer matters. Do you realize that? Your slate has been wiped clean because you believed in Him as your Lord and Savior and His work upon the cross. Think about Rahab, the reputation she had, had, had. She was no longer an unclean prostitute. 
She was one worthy of being put in the lineage, the family genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's pretty awesome. And think about it. Just as she was grafted into the line of Christ, guess what? Us by faith, believing in Jesus Christ, are grafted into the family of God. Amen? Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus, for that opportunity. We become children of the Most High God, partakers in His inheritance. The last thing is about being the church. Assembling together as the church. Is that important? I'd say absolutely. Think about it again, the points I brought up. All the family had to be in God's house. All the family had to be in God's house. The crimson cord had to be in the window. The Passover, they had to be in the house. The Bible says it's very important as we approach the end of times, and we're in the last days, whether, you, whether they're still a million years away, they're getting closer every day that we spend here, amen? But God tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling together in the body of believers. We are to come together to, number one, lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to lift Him up, to glorify Him, and also, by doing that, encourage one another. It's so important that we encourage one another because this, dark is getting dark, this world is getting darker by the day. That's all the more reason we need to gather together as the family of God to lift up Jesus Christ and encourage one another. So what can we learn from Rahab the prostitute? I'd say little did Rahab the prostitute know, but that scarlet cord would turn her life from a life of shame and put her in the Hall of Fame, God's Hall of Fame. Do you know she's in God's Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11? Her name is mentioned. This story about Rahab shows me, and thank God it shows all of us, that we should never be judged by the worst moments of our lives. Amen? We should never be judged or even identified by the worst moments of our life. Rahab's life was saved by that crimson cord. I'm convinced that God sent those spies in into, in, into enemy territory for Rahab to save her. Yeah, they saved her whole family. But I believe God had his eyes upon Rahab. He knew that she wanted to love him. He knew that she wanted to know him. And I said all that to say, guess what? Rahab's story is our story. Rahab's story is our story. Rahab's story, if it's not your story, can be your story. What Joshua did for Rahab, Jesus has done for us. What Joshua did for Rahab, Jesus has done for you and me. Salvation starts the moment you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believe. And it extends over into eternity. I'd say to make sure you've got that scarlet cord of Jesus Christ that's represented in His blood tied around your waist, tied around your life to give you the strength to go forward, to give you the strength to continue on until someday in the sweet by and by we're going to reach that heavenly promised land. Amen? Rahab's story can be your story if it's not today. Back in 1937, the Germans had made this enormous airship. Most of you have heard of it, the Hindenburg. Anybody ever heard of the Hindenburg? It was 804 feet long. Pretty amazing. One time they were getting ready to launch the Hindenburg. And they had about 100 guys with long ropes that were attached to the Hindenburg, standing on the ground, holding it. And for some reason, when they were maneuvering it into position, this huge gust of wind came up underneath the Hindenburg and it took it straight up in the sky. Well, it pulled the rope right out of some of the guys' hands, and they weren't hurt at all. Others grabbed a hold of fear till they were about 50 feet off the ground, and they fell and broke their legs and their ankles. Some of them were so struck with fear that they hung on for dear life and didn't even let go until they were about 100 feet up, fell to their death. 
All these men had let go of the rope, and the Hindenburg was drifting in the breeze on its own. And they looked up, and they see one rope left, and they see one guy hanging on the end of the rope. And they're just wondering, he's about to fall any second, he's going to die. And he keeps hanging on and hanging on. And they actually chased the Hindenburg for three hours as it drifted along, and this guy is holding on. Well, eventually it comes down on its own. The guy's able to walk safely away, uninjured. They were shocked. They were asking him, how in the world did you hang on so long? He said, I knew right away that I wasn't going to be able to hang on very long. He said, so I grabbed a hold of that rope with my left arm while I took the slack in the rope and wrapped it around my waist and tied it into a knot. And he said, for the last three hours, I was just trusting in that rope. Last three hours, I was trusting in that rope and hoping I'd be saved. Hearing that story and thinking of Rahab's story, think of that scarlet cord. Think of that scarlet cord, a symbol of faith through the blood of Jesus Christ that saved her. I believe you and I need to tie a knot in the rope of God's promises, in the rope of our relationship with Him that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and that scarlet cord that has saved our lives and hang on and see the salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This morning, maybe you've never responded to God's grace. Maybe you're here and you've never ever made a real commitment to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, He's calling your name this morning. His presence is filling this place. He's calling your name. He's saying, come to me. Give me your sin. Oh, He took it on the cross. But we have to repent and come to Him. He's saying, come to me and I'll give you a second chance. And even if you've already come to Christ, how many know we need second chances every day? We need second chances every day. But I believe if Rahab was here today, she would say that God did that for her. And she would say God wants to do that for you. I don't know where you are in your walk with Him. You may have been serving Him your whole life. You may not know Him, and you may be somewhere in between. God knows what you're dealing with. God knows the journey into the promised land that He wants to take you on. But it's you and I. It's our decision. It's our choice. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Stay in the house. Stay in the house. I'm not saying stay in this church. I'm saying stay in the house. The body of believers. The body of Christ. Oh, church is awesome. Church is great. But stay in God's presence. Stay in God's house. Stay in His glorious presence because that's the only way that I get through from day to day is to walk in His presence and His strength. Do I fail miserably? But God will never let you down. Could you bow your hearts with me? Lord God, we thank You today that You are able to take broken people and make them whole. You're able to take broken people and make them brand new. Lord God, we thank You for this story of Rahab that, Father, I believe gives us all hope no matter who we are, what we've done, where we've been, you still love us. And you want to do an incredible work in our lives and through our lives. Father, I pray that hearts today will surrender to you today and give you the chance to give them a second chance. Father, help us as Rahab put that scarlet cord in her window. Help us to keep Jesus in our hearts. Help us to hold on to you and to your promises. Lord, we thank you for the saving blood of Jesus Christ 
And before we close today, I'd love for every one of us to repeat this prayer, asking Jesus to come fresh and new into your heart. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. This is your moment. We're going to pray it together because I pray this prayer almost on a daily basis, asking Jesus to be Lord of my life and every area of my life. So let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I hear you knocking on my heart today. And I open my heart. I open this door. And I invite you to come in. To be the Lord of my life. To be my Savior. Please forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. And make me brand new. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. So that I can live for you. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this congregation of believers and for those that prayed that prayer for the first time. I thank you that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, that your eternity has changed just by meeting your Prince Charming, just by meeting the right guy, the right God at the right time. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray your blessing on us as a congregation that we would not only accept you, but we would live for you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would give every area of our life over to you and trust you to walk with us. Help us to tie that rope, that crimson cord around us and to live for you like never before. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Go out and change the world for Jesus.